We're preaching on a series called, Is He Worthy? On persecution. Is He Worthy? And just like we said tonight, He is worthy. And this one message is what previous message was about, was the reality of persecution. Tonight is the reason for persecution. And if you miss this, nothing else matters in the whole series. If you don't understand the reason why, for the reality, why does it exist? How, what you're supposed to respond, the response to persecution, the next message. And then finally, the reward for persecution. This is central. If you have this, you will be just fine. And my prayer is that as our world progresses, as it moves forward, you know, we may face things. We may face greater discrimination. There's no persecuted church and a, and, and a non-persecuted church. That's just a question of dates and borders. Tomorrow, if our border changes, or in a few years, there's nothing in the Bible saying that any believer will go without persecution. It said, like we talked about last time, those who will live a godly life will suffer persecution. The level, how it comes, the time, the circumstances, that's all in the Lord's hands. That's all in his hands. But there is a reality of it. And so we've seen that. And so I hope and I pray that this will do something and deposit it into our hearts. That if we encounter something, some sort of something for the name of Jesus, that we won't be shaken. We won't be moved back. We will have already counted the cost, which is just what Jesus said to do. If you wanted to follow him and be a disciple of his, count the cost. This is what's ahead. That our hearts will be settled. They'll be rested. They won't be easily moved or shaken. Father, I just give this to you tonight. I pray you'd move me out of the way. I just pray for the soils of our heart, as our brother Charles preached on Sunday morning at 9 a.m., Lord, that the soils would be good, that you would help me to be humble and to give out just what you've given and let it go and, and let it be just what you want it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you're looking online and you don't see the first message and you're trying to share it, YouTube and Facebook took it down, apparently, though I had a registration link for the video. Um, they picked it up, and it looked like maybe I was trying to share something I wasn't supposed to. But it's on the church website. I had a registration link for it, so my conscience is clear. But if you're looking for the message, please direct people to the website, and they can look at that. So tonight, let's look at Luke chapter 6, verse 22 to 23. This is our series message. This is our series scripture, excuse me. Luke six twenty-two to 23. Whenever I was thinking about this and it was coming into my heart, God gave me this scripture and I had no clue that all of the messages would actually be rooted and come out of just this one scripture. It's just absolutely amazing how he did that. And if you'll read along with me in Luke 6, 22, 23, it says, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. We broke that down last time, but I want you to see why in the scripture does persecution come. What does it say? Why does it come? Why are they hating, excluding, reviling, speaking evil of our names? Why? Is it because we simply hold a different religion? Is it because we don't fit into, you know, Hindu nationalism if you're in India? Is that really what's going on? There's a spiritual reality behind our physical world. And the prophet Daniel saw this so clearly. Whenever there was a war in the heavenlies and there were demonic beings fighting 
And there was one demonic being who was the, basically the spiritual king or authority, as it were, over the land of Babylon. But then there was another one that came of Persia. But then there was another one coming from Greece. We see it geopolitically, and it's so interesting to see what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. But perhaps there's a war going on in the heavenlies there. So behind the scenes, there's so much more than this carnal world. This is the outworking of the spiritual. And that is something that I'm learning as well. But what happens here on earth has already been done somewhere in the heavenlies. So why does it happen? It says here it's on account of the Son of Man. Because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus that persecution happens. But why? Why is that? Why is persecution centered on Jesus himself? And why is it that his name is hated? Why is his name cursed? And why is offense caused when the name of Jesus is used in prayer? Why is it okay to just say God generically? But when Jesus steps onto the scene, everything changes. What is it that's attached to that name that would cause someone to want to behead someone else, to burn to death a neighbor, or simply to discriminate and not allow someone to use a building to be a church? Why is it? There must be something beyond the natural name of just Jesus. What is that spiritual reality? Well, we know he's God. We know he's light and life. In him is no darkness. And in the Gospel of John 15, if you go there with me, Jesus is going to tell us why it is that everything is focused on the Son of Man. Why all of this violence and discrimination would blossom out of this name Jesus when all the name Jesus means is Savior. But there's a reality there. There's a person there. In John chapter 15, verse 18, I'm going to read a few scriptures here, so... Let's listen together. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love, would love you as its own. So if you want to be loved by the world, just go join it. Go be a part of it. Or if you're lost, just stay with it. Don't come to Jesus, right? It would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you because I took you out of it. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Some people say, well, I'll take God, but I'll leave Jesus. No, I'm sorry. You don't get to choose between the persons of the Trinity. You don't. You can't divide them and him, God, the one God, into parts, three persons. You can't separate them. I and my father are one. The Holy Spirit comes. He's going to speak of one person, Jesus. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. 
And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Why are you telling your disciples this, Jesus? Why are you saying this the night before you go to your crucifixion? This is after he's washed their feet. This is all one conversation from John 13 all the way through John 17, through 18 even. It's just one big event. It's separated by chapters and verses, but it's all one context. The sitting down to the Last Supper, to 18 when he's in the garden and he's praying in Gethsemane. And in between all of this message and all of the prayer and all this final teaching, it's like it's his last words, his last message to his disciples. These are important words. It used to be in the early days of America and other places, people would draw close to a man or a woman to see what are their last words on their deathbed? What are their last words? Because they wanted to see if they would die well. And Jesus did mightily. But before he went to that cross, he said, I have said all these things to you. Why? To keep you from falling away. Our God is giving us a warning. He's sharing the news before it's news. He's preparing our hearts. And I think that's what he's trying to do in these messages in some way. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you, rem- you may remember that I told them to you. Kind of a thick passage, something worth meditating on, looking at, but a very powerful passage. So we see that persecution comes because the name of Jesus. Because whenever you pledge allegiance to Jesus, you have pledged allegiance to a king. You pledge allegiance to a king. And he is God. These people, they don't know God. That is why persecution comes. Oftentimes the people that persecute others, they don't actually know what they're doing in a sense. Because they belong to the God of this world. And it says that when we are lost, we're actually in the embrace and the hold of the wicked one. And that he is our master. He's a slave master. And that we are slaves to him. Jesus actually said to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. When Adam sinned in the garden, he passed along that brokenness. He passed along that sin so that every man, every man and woman, you start as a child, but you are completely conceived in iniquity along with me. Not that there was something necessarily wrong with the marriage, but you receive in yourself the nature and the brokenness of Adam separated from God already before even being brought into the earth fully. And that is in us. So really all a person has to do to be a candidate to really persecute a a Christian is simply belong to this world, to have simply been born. And the devil pulls the strings to some extent in their life. Hate is for both the biblical Jesus and his father. You notice there are progressive Christians today that will begin to say that Jesus said nothing about... uh, homosexuality, things like this. And let's not focus on that one thing, but they begin to form Jesus, a different Jesus. And the name of Jesus means nothing then, right? Words have significance. That's why we ask, what is a woman? Does a word matter? Can I just make this word mean what I want it? If you remove the meaning from it, it is no longer that thing. So Jesus and all of his glory and all this word that it reveals him to be, there's something about him. He exposes darkness. And this Holy Spirit of God speaks the name of Jesus to the world. But he also said, and you will testify. 
You will testify to the world. That's when persecution may begin to find itself at your gates. It's okay when you're at the workplace and you're turning a wrench or typing on your keyboard or teaching your students. But whenever you begin to go to that girl in your class and you say, what's happened? And you find out her dad or her mom's boyfriend beat her. Or something's happened. You begin to minister to her and pray over her in the name of Jesus. All of a sudden things start happening because it's not about the natural. It's about the spiritual. It's about what's behind the scenes. You're doing an assault. There's an assault going on. Jesus is not some soft king. He's not soft. He said, I came to bring a sword, a sword. And the very people of your household will hate you, deliver you to death. The mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law. Maybe there's some division there anyway, but he was talking about something deeper, something spiritual. The son against the father, the children against the parents. Why would they do that, these natural bonds? Because there's something that runs deeper than your blood, and you may not understand it, but the spiritual, there's a spiritual tying in to a person, to Satan or to Christ, the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. It's the name of Jesus. And if he is worthy, which we're asking in each one of these messages, is he worthy? And that's for you to decide. Is he worthy? Then how can I not speak his name if he's worthy? I'm not trying to be arrogant or a fool. I'm simply listening for my shepherd's voice. And when he says to do something, I'm seeking to obey him because I love him. But it's when we love him and obey him and we speak the name of Jesus That fire comes now from the enemy. Acts chapter 4. Go there with me please. We're going to read a few verses from here. Acts chapter 4. Things are going great for the church. Peter the denier of the name of Jesus. Gets up filled with the Holy Spirit. Proclaims the gospel of Jesus. 3,000 men get saved. Women and children I'm sure as well. Thousands of people are in the church. Could you imagine having to count all the people afterwards? It says there were 3,000. They counted them somehow. They knew their church membership. But uh, one, two, three, the joy, the excitement. Wow, did you, did you hear that? I don't know Cappadocian or I don't know Egyptian or all these things. And I was speaking the language and one of them got saved. This is amazing. They're excited. Things are going well. They're in each other's homes. They're learning about doctrine, prayer meetings, fellowship, sharing things. But then they go and there's this lame man and he's healed. And all of a sudden, Peter and John get called before the Jewish authorities. The words of Jesus that he said, I'm warning you ahead of time, this is going to happen, was starting to come to pass. He's prophesied it, and now it's going on. In verse 7, it says this, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man. I mean, like, listen to those words. If you're really examining us for us raising the guy up who had messed up legs and he couldn't walk. I mean, shame on you right there, right? By what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God puts great premium upon his name. 
Why else would he have given us Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, all of these things that speak of who he is, revealing himself to us because his name is who he is. You shall call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from his sins. My goodness, the name of Jesus, it is powerful and the enemy hates it. There's a reason the devils go out in the name of Jesus. Because it contains real spiritual authority. Now, I know sometimes we say, and Lord bless this food and let me get an A, even though I didn't study a whole lot, in Jesus' name. Because we're really, I think there's some bad theology there, thinking that if we just slap the name of Jesus on there, everything's going to be all right. But it also reveals some really good theology. The name of Jesus has great credibility. It has great weight. There is something to this name, to this person that I follow that is unlike any other. Even though I might be using a little bit wrong like that, there is, it is an anchor. It is a weight. It is a sword. It is powerful. The name of Jesus is awesome. You ever just stop and just say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You can even worship him just by saying it. Devils flee. There's one name that every knee is going to bow to. The name of Jesus. It is power. It is might. It is beyond what I know it to be. And I hope to learn more about my Jesus. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? Are we going to beat them? Are we going to behead them? Are we going to take their homes? What are we going to do? Are we going to track down their donors so that they don't have money to buy food and keep preaching? A notable sign has been performed. Through them, it is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. We can't deny they've done something, but we've got to do something. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. In this name. If we can stop them from speaking this name and everything attached to it, the ministry, the miracles, the power, then we will have stopped this There's a spiritual reality going on behind these men. It is not just their natural surmisings causing them to say this. It is not just fleshly intelligence telling them to say this. There are devil spirits speaking and guiding the way they are going to do this. And there's a threat. Just don't speak the name of Jesus. In the video that I was watching, The Insanity of God, and again, you can go online and watch that for free at Revelation Media. I think it's .com, .org, something like that. Just type in Insanity of God, comma, free. <laughs> It'll come up, just pop your, your uh, email in there. But there's, there's a scene in there where a man has been in a gulag, not the one we watched, for 8, 10, 12 years. Finally, finally, the, 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 the son and the mother of this man are allowed to see him. And he's picked up this man. He looks like he's a rags, bones, and he's actually lifted and set down on the visitation table by the guard. They couldn't really tell who it was, what was going on, and they pulled back the rags. It was her husband. It was his father. The son said, I'm so proud of you, Dad. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of you. And so the woman tried to sneak in a Bible and try to put it in there. The guard saw it, and he said, don't you know that it's because of this name that he's here? What are you doing? Don't you know I could kill you? Don't you know it's because of this name? This name, 
It's beyond the natural. It's beyond red states and blue states. It's beyond Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent, whatever. There is a spiritual battle that is above all of these things. It's a battle for the name of Jesus and his gospel. It says in Acts 4, 29 to 31. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You can't separate this life, this message Miracles or anything from the name of Jesus. Because once you depart from that name, you depart from it all. You depart from biblical Christianity. There's no salvation apart from him. You can try to go your own way. But Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And apart from me, there is no other way to the Father. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. We are a Jesus-centric church because all of the word of God speaks of Christ. He opened up the word of God on the road to Emmaus. Oh, you foolish and slow of heart. Don't you know that everything written by Moses, the prophets, the writings, it all pointed to Jesus? Jesus? Don't you know that all of it speaks of him? Don't you know that all of it prophesies to him? The serpent crusher of Genesis 3.15? It's all about him. But why? Why is he so hated? I see there's light. I see all these things. Glad you asked. It says earlier in John 3.17 to 21, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This is why we hide our sin. Even as believers, we're ashamed. We're afraid of being found out. We want to justify ourselves. It's why when my wife tells me that I'm wrong about something, I fight back because light is coming in in some way if I'm legitimately wrong in this issue, but I want to fight back. I want to justify myself. I'm proud because I want to hold on to whatever this is. But whenever I humble myself or vice versa or whoever it may be, light comes in, it exposes, and something can be dealt with. That is why the name of Jesus is hated because when the name of Jesus comes in, when his truth, when his life Truly, spiritually, and power comes in. It begins to make manifest of all things dark. And everything that was exposed begins to be seen by the people. And it's not just the red and the blue and everything else. But there are real demons here. And there are real angels here. And there's a real hell. Real lake of fire and a real heaven. And Christ is making me see it all. And it's too much to contain. And the devils that are blinding the people. And the devil himself cannot take it. So he tells the people, run, persecute, fight back, say the Bible not true. Say it's been corrupted by man. Say it's been all these things, but don't let the name of Jesus be preached because if it does, it's going to expose everything for everyone who does the wicked things. They hate the light and they don't come to the light lest their works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It's a kingdom issue. It's a matter of kingdom. We here in America I think we struggle with some of the language of the Bible. I think we struggle with it, and I know I would, because we are founded in revolution. Throw off the dictator. Throw off the potentate. Throw off the power. Individual liberties. Individual rights. 
And these can be great things. But whenever they get so worked into our character, our culture, all of us have something to overcome, no matter what the culture is. Someone else might show up two hours late for church. I don't know how they do it, but us, we might fight with that. But we are swearing allegiance to a king, a king. And so our context can be difficult to understand. For my in-laws, they live in England. They grew up with a monarchy. They've got, they had kings, queens, all in their history built in. So this makes a bit more sense to them when they read this. But to me, I've got to realize this is a kingdom issue. Because we have a kingdom gospel. We don't have a gospel that just says, get saved and then hold on, white knuckle it until you get to heaven. Or hold on real tight for the rapture. No, we are saved into a kingdom that stretches all the way back from Genesis. There's one coming. All the way into Revelation, there's a king coming. And then you see him on the cross, holding the two, the bridge, King Jesus. That is our gospel. We have a gospel of a kingdom. This is not a dominionist theology. This is simply what we are reading here. We we may enforce the kingdom in the sense of Christ through us preaching the gospel and the kingdom being planted in other people's lives. We're not sitting there trying to take over the seven hills of media and all of these silly, foolish things. No, this world is going to fall down one day and Antichrist will come. But my king, Jesus, will come on a white horse, name of names across his thigh, word of power out of his mouth like a sword, cutting to death his enemies. Psalm 2, who are those who don't want me to rule over them? Bring them here now. Bow down before me. I am the rightful king. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I've not simply come to wash away your sins and make your life better and fill up your bank account. No, here you are. Go watch Pilgrim's Progress. I was watching that with my kids this week. And I tell you what, I cry all the time. Because it's like I'm living through what I wish I had in some aspects. My mom did a great job raising me, even as a lost woman, or even the Bible to us. But we didn't have some things like that, wasn't introduced to it. But the Pilgrim's Progress, and if you're not familiar with it, there was a man named John Bunyan in the 1600s. His book, The Pilgrim's Progress, was written in jail. He was put in there for 12 years, a Baptist minister. You see, the Church of England had a stranglehold on everything back then. If you didn't do worship just right, this way, with these things up here, read from this book of prayer, you cannot preach. Well, he didn't have a license to preach, so what did he do? As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, he kept doing what his king, his general, told him to do. He kept preaching. So when the people found out about it, they threw him in jail. Will you stop preaching it? I cannot stop preaching in the name of Jesus. I cannot quit preaching the gospel. I can't. He's called me. I was a tinker. I, I did manual labor. I, you know, I, I would fix shoes. I would fix little metal pots and pans. But then God brought him there, made him a preacher, called him to a high and glorious calling. I can't. So for 12 years, 12 years, he would not say no. I can't do that. I can't do what you're asking for me to do. So he wrote an allegory after having a dream. And he dreamed about a man named Christian who was in the city of destruction. And then a man named Evangelist came and he gave, he he had the scroll. He begins to read it. 
He's met by a man who tells him about a celestial city. And he counts the cost. He's got to leave the city destruction. And the character in the book sees in his dreams destruction, fire coming down. And he says, this is true. I'm in agony of soul. And he begins to follow Jesus. He goes to the cross. And then he finds his burden falls off. This heavy backpack the character is wearing. He falls into depression here. He runs into vanity there. People he thought were brothers abandon him. But what he got in one place was armor. He got armor to do battle. And this journey, as this pilgrim began to make his progress to the home that he had been guaranteed. He wasn't just waiting for salvation way out there. He was living it right here. And I encourage you to go watch that as well. These are just such great resources. It's a kingdom issue. It's a fighting issue. There's a reason why it says do warfare Fight as a good soldier. Take on the armor of God. This is not some namby-pamby, hold my coffee, maybe I'll do one of these real quick as I'm listening, punch the clock, go home, and then spend all my time looking at my 401k and everything else, our busyness of life, whatever it is. This demands our all because as disciples of Jesus, we have been saved into a kingdom. I'll give you an example. A Ukrainian and a Russian soldier in battle uniform with weapons approach each other. If they are worth their salt, they will pull up their rifle and begin to shoot at the other person. Why? Because they recognize this is an enemy. This is an enemy. So when the devil sees you and you begin to speak in the name of Jesus and you begin to do warfare against his kingdom, you may not know it. But whenever you start taking shots, don't be surprised. Because there's a kingdom. You're in the kingdom of light. That's the kingdom of darkness. You may not realize it. And I think that's probably going to be the greatest thing that we see when we get to heaven. You, or that I will see. Oh, Andrew. Oh, Andrew, I love you, son. Man, you were so ignorant to all the realities there were. Everything at your disposal. You thought it was just this you were saying. But you didn't realize I was submarine torpedoing walls that had been built up around the mind to blind people from the gospel. Perhaps whenever you are saying something and you get a hateful text message or something happens on Facebook, little did you know, but you were lobbing. Nuclear weapons, spiritually speaking, against the enemy. And it had wiped out defenses that he had built here and there. Jesus said he came to bring that sword. To cut through the darkness of men's hearts. Which would lead to the division in the families. And persecution from those closest. Because it's a kingdom issue. During the American Revolutionary War. And you'll find this in many other places. There were households ripped apart. They were ripped apart because the allegiance came either to break away from Britain or to stay with Britain. There was one man named Benedict Arnold. He betrayed our military. He was an American general. He, was, he turned to go fight for the British. There were, because of his wife, actually. So wives, be careful how you influence your husband. And husbands, we better be careful how we lead our wives because it can have a great impact, not just in natural kingdoms, but in spiritual kingdoms as well. But if the Revolutionary War in America can bring division, this will we are not of the old kingdom, and the devil is mad. In Colossians 1, 12 to 14, it says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Where are the saints? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So where are we? In light. Can we say that one more time? We are in where? 
and the world is living in what? Darkness. Darkness. He has delivered us from the old domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You might get a transfer at your job, departments, and things like this, but this was a transfer from death and darkness and the kingdom of hell, picked you up and put you down into the kingdom of light and of his beloved son and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We used to serve a slave driver and the devil wants worship. Go read Matthew 4 again, the temptations of Jesus. If you will get down and if you will worship me, or it says there, another translation, pay homage to me. If you will submit yourself to me as authority in your life, I will give you all these things. Why do you think that the CEOs and powerful people in this world hate Jesus so much? They have received power from the enemy. Some of them. It's because of him that some of them are there. And so they pay allegiance to their king. In the devil, death and hell is the end to all who follow him born naturally. And he persecutes the children of the king. And there's a song by Bridget Ligertwood. Talks about the banner. His name is our banner. It's a banner over us. It's a flag that we fly. And he tells us, count the cost. So Jesus' name is the target. We're at war with one another. So really, you could say it is Jesus' fault that we're persecuted. You'd be right. It's your fault, Jesus, I'm being persecuted. It's your fault I'm hated by people. It's your fault, Jesus, I'm excluded. Reviled, our names are treated as evil. 100% correct. It is because of me. But it's also because of me that you've been rescued from hell. That you've been rescued from a slave-driving king. That our immortal souls are saved from a lake of fire. That I'm not depressed trying to binge drink because my grandmother's dying anymore. I'm not depressed looking at my feet on the LSU bus wondering whatever I'm going to do. Looking for hope. Just being depressed and playing video games and reading books and living a wasted life. It's because of Jesus that I have open access to the God of the universe. Just as true as it is that it's because of his name that I have those things coming against me. I am loaded daily with benefits. These Jewish men, the 12 disciples, knew the value. And they were willing to lay down their lives, not for just some dream, not for some cult leader, for real truth, real life, a real person. We get the excitement of living in a kingdom now and evermore. We get to participate with Jesus in his kingdom. Pastor Lee said it before, and I was no great athlete, but I, I rode the bench in high school for soccer. I, you know, I, I, was, I was first string bench warmer. I love to get in. I, you know, it's such a waste. Whenever I was there for 50, 60 minutes in the game, and it's 30 degrees outside because it's a winter game. And you've got on all of your uniform. You've got your shin guards. You've got all these things. You know, your cleats that you probably spent too much money on. And then you get up and your legs are cold. And your muscles are stiff. And you get in there and everyone's been playing the game. And you're just kind of like, Ugh, let me warm up and try not to pull a muscle. 
I don't want to live like that spiritually. We are all dressed in battle uniform. We have all been given the armor of God. We have a Holy Spirit within us. We have gifts. Jesus, when he ascended, he gave gifts to men. When we were put into the body of Christ, it wasn't to be a waste. And you don't necessarily have to have a spiritual gifts test. Okay? But there are gifts that are spiritual within you. There is something that he's put in you unique. So when he brings us to be members of a body like this, he wants you to function. He needs you to function for the calling of that body of believers and for your own to be fulfilled. There's excitement in this. So don't just sit back and wait for someone to tell you to do something. Go up and say, I want to do something. This is what's in my heart. It's because of the name of Jesus. We have a family and the body of Christ. For some of us, this is so, I hope for all of us, this is deeper fellowship than we have in our own families. For some of us, perhaps, that have smaller families, this is such a refuge. I mean, we could, we could literally, to people that we barely know, text them and ask them, can we talk to them? We can just have a cup of coffee with them and connect at a deep spiritual level. How many of us would long to do that with natural friends and family members? God has given us that. And we have been adopted by God as our Father. A real Father. Hallelujah. How wonderful. It's the name of Jesus. It's not you. It's because of who's inside of you. And just as much as you should feel the weight of that could happen, it's because of he's inside of you that all the benefits and all the blessings and all the life is there. But will we take advantage of them? Music people, (laughs) y'all can come up. (laughs) I stink at that, huh? Music people. Hallelujah. What I hope we can do tonight is just simply thank him for his name. Thank him for his name. That he's ours and we are his. And for his benefits. To just come and just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And if we could actually just open our mouths and praise that name. That worthy name of Jesus. King Jesus. And while they're coming in and while we're here, let's just take some time here. The question, is he worthy? I want to ask, meditate on this. How does the fact that there are two kingdoms affect the way you will live tonight and tomorrow? How will it affect the way you live towards the lost in your workplace? Don't just receive information. Ask God, demonstrate this and live this through me in such a way that I live differently to the people around me with an understanding that I actually need to pray before I go have coffee with that coworker, Or maybe the reason I'm feeling withheld from going to that neighbor and bringing them cookies or asking how they are if they believe in Jesus because there's actually spiritual warfare going on against me. It's not just that I'm shy. I'm actually being pushed back by the kingdom of darkness. Will I see that for what it is and say No. I'm going to pray and I'm going to step forward humbly and gently in Jesus' name and I'm going to go to this person. How will I live my life before others? And if you're not a part of this kingdom, our king welcomes you. He does. He welcomes you. It doesn't matter what you've done. You just need to bow the name to Jesus. Turn to him. Trust in him. Say, yes, I want your name upon me. I don't want to belong to this kingdom of darkness anymore. I want to belong to the kingdom of light. You said you would do it. I bow my knee to you, Jesus. 
And I say, yes, just take me. Just take me. I don't know the words. I don't know what it is. Here's my heart. Here's my life. Transfer me. What does that look like? Feel like? No clue. Just do it in me supernaturally. Because I want to be a part of your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Just give you glory, Lord. God, I pray you would just, just touch our hearts. Help us to live differently with this understanding. God, help us to live differently because your name is powerful. Help us to understand the power that is in you. We just thank you, Lord. We just praise you, Lord. We just give you thanks, God. You don't have to necessarily come travail in altars, but just lift up his name. Just say thank you to him. Just say thank you. Think about today what he's done in your life. Think about what the name of Jesus has purchased for you.